0: Hello again and welcome back to another episode of The Divine Lantern. We are so glad you could tune in. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. I'm Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and I'm your host for the week, where we are joined by and Natalie who will be discussing the topic, Creating a Prayer Corner. This will be followed by a Did You Know segment, and we will then conclude with a reading from the Orthodox Library. Over to you, Hudi and Natalie. In the name of the Father,
1: and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you for having me, and thank you to His Eminence, Archbishop Basilios, for the opportunity to share some of my insight and experiences with you today. My name is Kharia Natalie Deha, and I am the wife of Father John Deha and mother of four children. I have been asked to speak about the importance of having a prayer corner in our homes as Orthodox Christians. As humans, we are inherently social beings, and as Orthodox Christians, we have a deep and spiritual yearning for a relationship with our God and Creator. We achieve this relationship and connection with God through prayer which while blissful and necessary for our spirituality is a daily and lifelong struggle till the end. To assist us with disciplining ourselves and developing and sustaining a daily prayer routine, it is highly recommended that we set up an appropriate physical space in our homes to facilitate this, often referred to as a prayer corner. Having a dedicated and purposeful holy place established in our home encourages us to go to it each day to pray and deepen our relationship with God. To start, let's define what a prayer corner is. A prayer corner is a physical place reserved for personal and family prayer. It can be referred to as the front corner, beautiful corner, holy corner, the icon corner, God's place, or the home altar. The Book of Acts and the Epistles of St. Paul record that in the early church, Christians used to meet in the homes of the faithful. This tradition of the house church continues to this day through our prayer corners. The orthodox home is considered to be a microcosm or mini version of the church. Whatever it is called a prayer corner is the spiritual heart of the home. It is an extension of the altar from the church and the cornerstone of our little church at home. It should serve as a constant reminder to pray. It should be a sanctuary for you and your family, a place where you can rest and renew yourselves as you live in this world. It should connect you with your spouse, children and the even greater family of saints who have gone before you, who all stand with you in worship of God. So how does one start? In its most basic form, a prayer corner is a shelf with a few icons that is set aside for prayer. Some people have a small table or a specific wall in their home with several icons set aside for prayer. I have been lucky to be in a couple of homes where the family has set aside an entire room as a home chapel. While these are pretty impressive options, I would suggest you begin small and simple to get started. The idea is to give a physical place in your home to prayer and to start praying there regularly, not to remodel part of your home. If we start out simply we stand a better chance of actually praying rather than starting a home renovation project that will delay our efforts at prayer. Here are a few steps that you could follow at home, either on your own or with your family to build this special and holy place together. If you have children, it is a great idea to include them in these steps so that they feel a sense of ownership and connection to the corner and will hopefully join you in prayer in the future. Step 1. Find a suitable prayer space. Your prayer corner can be anywhere in your home, but ideally it should be somewhere easily accessible, quiet and oriented toward the east. Depending on your situation, this might present a challenge, but just do the best that you can. A few guidelines when choosing a spot. You want the prayer corner somewhere easily accessible, so that you are encouraged to actually go to it and pray. A space that's tucked away in a hidden part of your home means that you will neglect it and neglect going there for prayer. It needs to be balanced with the idea of a quiet space, especially in family homes. In a family, the prayer corner is somewhere that the family can gather together for family prayer. But there may be times where someone in the family may want to pray alone. They should be able to do so without distraction. While you want to make it readily accessible, the prayer corner needs to be in a place where there is not high traffic or noise, such as a dining area or living room. Also, our prayer corner should mimic, to some degree, what we see at church. If possible, the prayer corner should be oriented on an east-facing wall, just like the iconostasis at churches. In a sense, we are setting up part of our home to be like the iconostasis and altar at church, as our homes are little churches and the prayer corner is our altar, extending the church into our homes. If you have a small living space, you could set up some hanging shelves, a privacy screen or collapsible room divider, or even use a bookcase or wall nook. Whatever you can do with your circumstances will be acceptable to God. One last note on the placement. Always be aware of its surroundings you should make a conscious effort not to combine icons with decorative objects of a worldly nature, such as statues, photos and posters of musicians or other idols, or any inappropriate books. This will take away from the reverence of the holy images and reduce them to the same level of idols of our worlds. On to step two. Set up the foundation. There is no special material you, that you need. There are a variety of suitable options you can use. You can use nails to hang icons, install a set of hanging or floating shelves or a bookshelf which gives you plenty of shelf space for multiple icons and other items. Remember, what you do in the prayer corner, pray, is the most important thing. Don't let this turn into another home project that expends a lot of time and money and definitely don't postpone having family prayer time because your icon corner is not yet perfect. Step 3. Gather items for your prayer corner. Each of the items you choose needs to serve a particular purpose in prayer, so take care when selecting them and adding them to your sacred space. The minimal must-haves answer to this is an icon of Christ, an icon of the Theotokos and a cross. As time goes by, the more you will naturally place in your icon corner. Additional could-haves include icons of your family's saints, each Orthodox Christian is given a saint name and maintains a special relationship with that saint throughout their lives. They ask the saint to intercede for them regularly. Therefore, it makes sense to have that saint's icon in your icon corner. Icon of the current feast. This is a special way to follow the church's calendar in your homes. You can cycle a prominent place in your prayer corner with the icon for major feast days such as a crucifixion, resurrection... Nativity of Christ, and so forth. This is a great opportunity to teach your children about the season or feast day in the church's calendar. When arranging your icons, please remember, Christ on the right, Theotokos on the left. Make sure Christ's icon sits on the right side of the arrangement, then place the Theotokos' icon opposite his on the left. If you can, it is good to place a cross between them, which resembles the centre of the iconostasis at church. Also remember the principle of hierarchy. Take care not to place an icon of a local saint or patron saint in a more prominent place than the icon of Christ, the Theotokos or the Apostles. If you have questions about how to do this, speak with your parish priest. Thirdly, keep everything symmetrical. This may sound silly, but is actually quite intuitive. When icons are hung without a sense of symmetry or well-thought-out arrangement, you focus more on the asymmetry. You keep wanting to change the arrangement again and again because something just doesn't look right and this distracts you from your prayer. So get it right from the get-go and it will help in your focus and concentration on your prayers. Another great addition are candles. We light candles when we pray as a reminder that Christ is the light of the world. These could be beeswax candles like the ones used at church or small tea light candles. Some like to light an olive oil lamp or a vigil lamp before the icons in their prayer corner. Choose whatever makes sense for you and your home and your family. If you have young kids, you could even use an electronic candle. A prayer corner is a great spot for an Orthodox first aid kit, holy water and oil. We receive holy water during the Feast of the Theophany, the Baptism of Christ, from church and holy oil during the unction service on Holy Wednesday. This holy water should be kept in your prayer corner. We can drink holy water when we are sick, before a journey or simply at the beginning of the day with our morning prayers. Likewise, we do the same when anointing ourselves with holy oil. If you have children, teach them to turn to these holy items when anxious, sick or simply for a blessing. Children have an incredibly pure faith and belief in God. which should be fed from an early age and not taken for granted. Incense is another good item to keep here. We chant during the Vespers, Let my prayer arise before you like incense. Incense is used continuously throughout the liturgy and other times of worship. It can also be used during family prayers at home. Our church strategically hones in on our five senses to engulf our hearts and minds in a prayerful environment and mood, which is what our home prayer corner is meant to replicate. Another item are prayer books which help us pray the prayers of the church at home. They are great for helping us learn the Trisagion prayers, the morning and evening prayers, and prayers for special occasions. There are also prayer books for specific prayers, such as the Akathist hymn, paraclesis, and prayers written by various saints, which can add a beautiful depth to our prayer life. You should also keep a Bible in your prayer corner to read it together in your prayer space with your family. Many families like to keep a prayer list of people they want to pray for each day. You can also include seasonal items in your prayer corner. For example, palm branches, paschal eggs or a piece of the vasilopita, the special cake shared on New Year's Day on the Feast of St Basil. Some Orthodox couples also keep their marriage crowns in their family prayer corner. Now on to step four, which is optional, decorating your prayer corner. Some people like to decorate their prayer corner with fresh flowers. This is optional but a beautiful addition incorporating God's nature in our prayer space. I think of my mother-in-law when I say this who always has either live or artificial flowers in her prayer corner which is so beautiful and makes it a really special and well-kept space and one you know you will tend to regularly. One final note before I wrap up. Icons are not just pictures. They transcend time and space, serving as a window from our world into the world above. They are holy things that unite the family during communal prayer through mutual forgiveness and love. The sad reality is that this communal window linking us with God has been overrun by another window to the current world, the digital screen, TVs, phones, tablets and so forth, and their associated apps. This window instead links us with the world of human passions, destroying the tradition of common prayer at home and the notion of our little church at home is being lost. As such, the final step is the most important and the hardest of all, actually using the space regularly for prayer. So get started and keep going. Congratulations, you now know how to set up your own prayer corner. To recap, first you need to choose a space Next, get an icon of Christ, the Theotokos, and other beloved saints and feast days. Then gather some candles, incense, prayer books, and a few other items to enrich your prayer corner. Just as the church taps into all our senses, so we have built our prayer corner to be a space that immerses our whole mind, body, and spirit in prayer with God. We need this constant reminder of Christ and his saints. We need to pause and pray instead of becoming frustrated at our family members. We need to light a candle and pray Lord have mercy when we hear heartbreaking stories on the news. We need to take a drink of holy water and anoint our bodies with holy oil when we are sick to remind us that Christ is the ultimate healer. We need to smell the incense and remember that our prayers are sweet smelling incense to God. We need Christ in our homes. May this assist you in building your little church at home for the glory of God and for you and your family's salvation. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Chudia, for that informative message. And now a series of readings from the Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy naptic fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment.
1: When images of some sensual pleasure arise in you, watch yourself so as not to be carried away by it. Pause a little. Think about death. And reflect how much better it is consciously to overcome this illusory pleasure. Saint Anthony the Great. There is nothing to prevent us from calling a doctor when we are ill. Since Providence has implanted remedies in nature, it has been possible for human experimentation to develop the art of medicine. All the same, we should not place our hope of healing in doctors, but in our true Saviour and Doctor, Jesus Christ. St. Diadochos of Photiki.
2: According to how you treat the soul while it is in the body, so will it treat you when it leaves the body. He who has treated his body, he softly and indulgently has treated himself ill after death. For, like a fool, he has condemned his soul. Saint Anthony the Great.
0: On August 28th in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate our righteous father, Moses of Ethiopia. Though dead, O black Moses, thou sayest the proverb, In heart I am a god, though a man in visage. On the 28th, they buried Ethiopian Moses. Moses was, at first, an escaped slave and the leader of a robber band because of his great physical strength and recklessness. Suddenly, his conscience was filled with remorse and repentance for his crimes. Moses left the band, went to a monastery and gave himself entirely to obedience to his spiritual father and to the rule of the monastery. With the help of his spiritual father, Isidore, and with great struggling, fasting and all-night vigils, Moses was finally healed from the lustful thoughts, imaginings and dreams visited on him by the demon. As a priest, Moses founded a monastery of his own and had 75 disciples. He foresaw his own death, as barbarians were coming to attack the monastery. Moses told his disciples to flee, but that he must perish, for he had himself once done violence, according to the words, All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Moses died and a shining wreath descended upon him. On this day we also commemorate the martyrs Diomedes, Damon and Lawrence, and martyr Susanna of Georgia. By their intercessions, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. Did you know that St. Herman of Alaska embarked on the longest missionary journey in Orthodox history? Stay tuned to find out more.
2: I speak
1: of, I speak
0: After Pentecost, many of the Apostles travelled all over the Roman Empire to preach the Gospel. The missionary journeys of St. Paul throughout the Mediterranean to Jerusalem, Athens, Corinth, and Rome are detailed in the Book of Acts. St. Paul may have even travelled all the way to Spain. Another Apostle to have travelled so far is St. Thomas, who went as far as India. However, did you know that the longest missionary trip in Orthodox history was completed by St. Herman of Alaska, who traveled from Valum Monastery in Eastern Russia all the way to Alaska in North America? St. Herman was born in the mid-18th century in Eastern Russia, but his exact place of birth and family origin is debated. However, we know that St. Herman was tonsured a monk and eventually moved to Valar Monastery on Lake Ladoga, where he was selected as one of the monks who would go to America as an Orthodox Christian missionary. St. Herman traveled with several companions over 10,000 kilometers for close to 300 days before finally arriving in Kodiak, Alaska. St. Herman, together with his fellow monks, baptized thousands of natives, built schools, and constructed a church. Through his gentleness, St. Herman won the love of the local children for whom he baked biscuits. The native Aleuts also grew to love St. Herman for his thoughtful preaching and his care for their needs. Known lovingly as Apa, meaning elder or grandfather, in Aleut, St. Herman protected his beloved native people through constant prayer and attention, whether from severe governors or natural disasters. During a smallpox epidemic, he visited and prayed with the victims of and their families, urging them to repentance and preparing the dying for the end. Over the years, St. Herman's companions passed away until only St. Herman was left. He chose Spruce Island as his hermitage and called it New Valam, carried on his missionary work as humbly as ever. St. Herman finally reposed in the Lord in 1837 and was buried on his beloved Spruce Island, his new Valam. Till this day, St. Herman of Alaska is commemorated as the patron saint of North America for having given his life to his beloved spiritual children. St. Herman, having made the longest missionary journey in Orthodox history, is an exemplar of the same missionary spirit that spurred St. Paul and St. Thomas to travel the world to preach the gospel. Of course, this should make each of us wonder how far we would be willing to travel to share the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Although we may not be able to embark on a similar journey, we may be inspired by St. Herman of Alaska to humbly share the gospel with that family member whose faith has wavered, or that colleague who is seeking truth, or that friend who is curious about Christ, but has yet to hear someone say, come and see. And now we're reading from our Orthodox library.
2: A chapter from the book of St. Paisios on spiritual awakening and devoutness. Devoutness moves God. What is devoutness? Yoronda, what is devoutness? Devoutness is the fear of God, modesty, spiritual sensitivity. A devout person may strain to make great efforts, but this straining drips honey into his heart. It does not turn his life into a martyrdom. It is an enjoyable experience. The actions of a devout person are refined and careful. He strongly feels the presence of God, the angels, the saints. He senses his guardian angel nearby, watching over him. He always keeps in mind that his body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and lives a simple, pure and sanctified life. His behaviour is always well thought out, marked by modesty and awareness of all that is sacred. For instance, he is careful not to turn his back on the holy icons, he does not place the sacred scripture or any spiritual book where he sits, and so on. If he looks upon an icon, his heart flutters and his eyes flow with tears. Even when he merely sees the name of Christ written down somewhere, he will bow reverently and kiss it. His soul overflowing with sweetness. Even for a small piece of newspaper thrown to the ground and bearing the name of Christ, or simply Church of the Holy Trinity, a devout person will bend down, pick it up, and kiss it with reverence, feeling sadness to see it thrown away like that. Yuronda, how can I acquire devoutness? The fathers say that to acquire devoutness, one must associate with devout people and observe how they behave. When Saint Pesios the Great was asked, how can I acquire the fear of God? He answered, you must associate with people who love God and have the fear of God in their heart so that you too may acquire such divine fear. This, of course, does not mean that you should do outwardly whatever you see others doing without feeling it within you, for this would not be true devoutness, it would be false. Anything false is abhorrent, Devoutness is the grace of God in man. Whatever the devout person does, he does because he feels it in his heart. Of course there is natural devoutness within us, but if we don't cultivate it, the devil will use our forgetfulness to make us insensitive and not devout. But the behaviour of the devout awakens devoutness in us again. Yoronda, why do the fathers speak only of devoutness when they advise us to acquire it by associating with those who are devout? Why do they not say the same about other virtues also? Because devoutness is a transmittable virtue. The movements and behavior of a devout person are transmitted, like perfume, provided the recipient possesses goodwill and humility. And let me tell you, if one is not devout, one has nothing. A devout person can clearly recognize all things sacred as they truly are, even though he may not be educated. For example, he will not err in anything that has to do with divine meanings. It is much like small children who do not have any negative thoughts about their father and mother because they love and respect them and are able to see clearly and properly what their parents are doing. How much more so in this case where we have to do with God who is incomparable and perfect in all things. One who is not devout falls into errors and falsehoods regarding the doctrine of the faith. I can see what errors are made when those who are not devout write interpretations and commentaries on the sacred texts of this Holy Scripture. All spiritual things require devoutness and heart. When everything begins with devoutness, everything is sanctified. Specifically, in order to write a service for a saint, one must love the saint and have reverence and devoutness for that saint, so that everything one writes will be heartfelt and exude authentic devoutness. When one reaches a state of divine eros, divine madness, the verses flow naturally from within. What else can help us acquire devoutness? Study with the mind everything that is sacred and truly digest these readings, but also make use of any opportunities afforded. This will gradually awaken devoutness in us. For instance, if I have the chance to pass by a church to pray and I don't take it, I am deprived of grace. But if I want to go and something prevents me, then I am not deprived of grace, because God sees my good intention. Much help in acquiring devoutness is also found in becoming familiar with the saints of our region, our country, so that we can love them and feel a link with them. God rejoices when we love the saints and show devotion to them. And if we show devotion to the saints, our devotion to God will of course be greater.
0: all for tuning in to another installment of The Divine Lantern. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe on your favorite podcast provider and share with your friends and family. We have a couple of announcements for this week. Firstly, in commemoration of the beheading of St. John the Baptist, Vespers will be held at 6pm on Sunday the 28th of August, followed by Divine Liturgy at 9am on Monday the 29th of August, both at the parish of St. John the Baptist in Croton Park. For more details on this and any other upcoming events, please visit the Archdiocese website at antiochian.org.au. Secondly, under the auspices of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, Divine and Publications is proud to present its partnership with BisonFest 2022. Established in 2014, BisonFest is an international film festival totally dedicated to Orthodox Christian cinema and can be accessed via bisonfest.com. Stay tuned for more details. That's all for this week. Have a blessed day and we hope to catch you next week.